Well, as you may have noticed, uh, we're in a new sermon series. Uh, This series is called Sent uh, because in it, it's Luke 9 and 11. We've been in Luke before, but but 9 and 11 are, you get two sort of uh, parts where Jesus sends out his disciples. Today, we're going to see him sending out the 12. Later on, we're going to see him sending out uh, the 72. And so this um, this is really the first clear picture that we have of the ministry of the church. Uh, In a sense, you could say it's kind of a dress rehearsal. Uh, because, you know, the, the day when things start, really, right, opening night in a sense, that's the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit falls, Jesus is already crucified back up in heaven, and then the church kind of gets going on their mission. But right now, we have kind of a dry run, uh, a dress rehearsal for the, the big show that is to come. And if you've ever been part of a theater troupe or a band, you know that rehearsals are very, very important. Because in rehearsal is when you really can tell if things are coming together as they should. Like all the pieces are working together as you hope they would, if there's any problems. Uh, because a lot of times th- there are problems. Uh, it made me think of, I'm not sure if you, you knew this, but a few years back they, they tried to stage uh, Spider-Man the musical. Uh, I know what you're thinking, it sounds amazing, and it sort of was. Uh, it was called uh, Spider-Man Turn Out the Dark. It was on Broadway, it was a big show. They had uh, Bono and The Edge from U2 do the lyrics and music. I mean, this was a big production. And in many ways, things seemed to be going well until they got to the, the dress rehearsal and then some of the pre-shows. And, you know, they have a lot of stunts in the show because it's a, it's a musical with superheroes. But what happened is people started getting injured. Actors started getting injured. One actor got four broken ribs, a skull fracture. Uh, another one broke their ankle, and someone else got a concussion. And eventually they realized this is, this is just not working. And the whole show fell apart. Uh, See, dress rehearsals are very, very important. It it, it can tell you if things are really coming together, if kind of the the focus of the production is really going to happen, and that's where we are with the disciples. Uh, They've been trained for a season now. They've seen Jesus preach and do miracles and heal. Uh, They've learned a lot, but now Jesus is saying, it's your chance to go out and try it. Go, Go and see what's going to happen. And within this call that we have from Jesus himself, Uh, we really get a sense of the essential elements for church ministry. Not just for back then, but for us today. So that's going to be our focus. There's going to be four directions that we get from Jesus for the disciples, but also for us as a church. And so we're going to begin by just reading the the first main section of the text. So again, this is Luke 9, uh, beginning in verse 1. And he, that's Jesus, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So the first direction we see very clearly is that the church is to be sent. Right? These disciples were very clearly sent out. Now that may not seem like a big deal. Of course that's what happened because we know how the church started. Paul went all over the place on missionary journeys, but this was a big shift in terms of God's people from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, I mean the people of God, they were at times like wandering around. Uh, they were conquering the promised land. So they did go some places, but for the most part, they were kind of hunkering down and they were protecting themselves. There were threats from within, threats from without, enemy nations, and most of the time, they were just trying to make sure that they were safe and secure and enjoying the blessings of God. But here, we see something totally different. 
here we see Jesus saying very, very clearly, look, your, your main mission as a group, as a, as a spiritual community is to go out, is to be sent. And this is in keeping with the pattern that we saw from Jesus, right? He was sent out from heaven. He was sent down to earth with, with a message of hope and now he's doing the same with the disciples. He's saying, go, go, you're to be sent out. Now this is important for us to recognize because there are, there are some Christian communities that, um, well, they like to circle the wagons. You know, they like to kind of find a plot of land somewhere, put up some big fences. Maybe they're actual fences or maybe it's just, you know, um, mental fences that we are a community, we, we have to be careful that the world doesn't get in and that we don't want to go out. That's missing one of the key directives, directives from Christ himself. Uh, don't forget that when, he, when Jesus finally did leave, when he was crucified and he, he ascended to heaven, the last thing he said was to go. Right, Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, spiritual growth, I mean, is still on the agenda. That clearly is what must be happening in the church. God's committed to our sanctification, to our spiritual growth, we are there to, to build each other up in faith. But if we miss one of the key objectives of that growth and we miss really what the church is to be about, we, we are to go, we are to be sent. We should expect to be sent out into the world with this message of hope. Uh, when we were at Westside, uh, our families at Westside before planting Tri-City Church, uh, Westside, whenever they would um, plant something or start something new, they would have an event, like a fundraising event, and uh, they would call it a sent and sending event. Uh, you're going to see an image there from when we started the, the North Shore campus. Now, the, the name I always thought was a bit cumbersome, sent and sending, but it very clearly communicates the message of the church, that the church, we are a sent people, we've been sent by God, and we are to be a sending people. That there's always going to be people going out of a local church. There's always going to be people starting new community groups, uh, new, uh, new Bible studies, uh, new campuses, new church plants, missionaries. Everyone's being sent out from the church. And the, th the thing about this that I think makes it difficult perhaps to, to accept is that going, being sent, is not as comfortable as staying. It feels, when things are good, in a community, church, whatever it is, family, it, it feels good to stay. You, you want to grow, you're enjoying relationship. To go out means to leave all of that. And I remember uh, for Don and I, when we were part of that North Shore campus plant, that was difficult. We went from an established church of about 800, all the teams were set up, all the systems were set up, to something totally new. We were planting in a movie theater had to learn how to do everything, had about 100, 150 people, much smaller group, all the relationships we enjoyed before, a lot of them were, were now stretched and strained because we didn't see them all the time. Would have been much more comfortable, much easier just to stay put. But of course, there were people on the North Shore, there are people there who need the gospel. There, if, people, if no one goes there, then people are not, they're not going to hear the gospel. There were people that needed to be connected with and the conviction of the, the elders of Westside Church and of the group that went was many of them lived in the North Shore or moved to the North Shore and said, we want to reach the people here. We want to bring the, the message of hope to them there. And so that's, that's what was required. And it's important that we embrace this as individuals and as a church because what we see very clearly here is that it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. There, there is going to be a time when you are sent Maybe to start a new community group. Maybe to, to be part of a new campus plant, a new church plant down the road. Maybe simply to, to go across the street and talk to your neighbor. 
But whenever you're sent, it, it's going to be uncomfortable. And if you're not expecting that, you're going you're to resist it. You're going to think to yourself, things that, that I've thought at times, I've heard people say is, you know, why would God want me to leave this? This is great for me. I'm growing so much. I'm enjoying this so much. Totally forgetting the fact that that's not the only thing that God wants for us. Not just that we would grow, but that there's a purpose here on earth for that growth. That we might know the gospel well and then, and then be sent to communicate it with others. So we need to be, we need to find our comfort and our rootedness in Christ and then be ready to go wherever he calls us. And the second thing we see is that we need to have a clear message. We're to share the gospel. Uh, there's no point, you know, going somewhere if you don't know why you're going. And so Jesus makes very clear here for the disciples that they are to share the good news, the hope of God. We see this uh, in verse two and verse six. Verse two, uh, he says they are to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the, that God's sovereign reign, reign over the world. Verse six, they preach the gospel. That's the good news and the hope. Uh, another part, though, that's a little more difficult to see uh, is in verse five. Uh, verse five, he says, wherever they do not receive you, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And that might sound a little strange. Like, why are they, why are they shaking their feet off uh, all the dust? Well, the whole purpose here is that it's a, it's a symbol of judgment. See, part of communicating the, the gospel, the good news, is that people would know not just the love of God, but also uh, the, the judgment of God upon sin. And so this act of, of shaking off your feet, you can't see, but I'm shaking. Shaking off your feet, okay? Um, everyone in the Old Testament knew what that meant. Because in the Old Testament, when you left kind of Israel and went out into the, the pagan Gentile world, you came back, you would shake off your, your feet, symbolically saying there's a difference between us who know Yahweh, the Lord of our salvation, and those who don't. So it was a sign of judgment against the, the rest of the nations. Now what Jesus is saying, you, you do that. If there's a city that doesn't hear the message of hope, you do that symbolically telling them, look, you also are under the judgment of God. You, you need to know your sin and you need to turn to God for hope. That is, that is necessary for there to be good news in your life. Now, the reason this is important to realize is because uh, we are sent out with the good news of the gospel, but that must include the bad news of sin. Uh, there's been a lot of times in my life I've had opportunity to hear people share the gospel. Uh, when I was working at Willingdon Church, I was in charge of the, the children's ministry there. And so I interviewed uh, a lot of people, wanted to be part of the kids' ministry. And I would always ask them as part of the interview, look, if you had an opportunity to share the gospel with a child, that's, you know, what would you say? Uh, we're here to you know, help the kids know Jesus. If you had a chance to tell them about Jesus, what, what would you tell them? And I was amazed how many times people would talk about the love of God, uh, the, the death of Jesus, that he was died on the cross, that God loves them, but... They would never share why. Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? What, what is it that compelled him to come down and, and to die on our behalf? They, they totally forgot sin. But you notice here that the disciples, they don't. They make sure that there is a, a message of judgment in the good news that they are sharing. They want people to know as they go out that, look, there's a reason why God has to forgive us because you are in need of forgiveness. Now at that time, they, they didn't know exactly that was going to happen. They didn't know about the cross. This was early on. But for us, we have the benefit of knowing exactly what it is that Jesus did. And it's incumbent upon us. It's necessary that we make very clear, look, there is a bad news for each one of us. We need to be grieved for our sin, but praise God for his love for us that Jesus took the death that we deserve upon himself and then rose to new life. 
So the full gospel is, is necessary when we go out, when we're sent. But there's another thing. Another thing that you see here, and that is that, um, that there are supernatural works of God that always accompany the gospel. You saw there in the, as Jesus sent them, he said, you go and you heal. And that they went and they preached the good news, but also they did healings. They, they delivered people from demons. This also mirrors the, uh, the, the ministry of Jesus. Look at Luke 6.18. It says, people came to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. This is what Jesus did all the time. People would come to, to hear him speak and then, and then he would heal them of infirmities, of spiritual, whatever the healing was, was, he would do that, whatever was necessary. And if you're wondering why those things always went together, well, it was because the healings, the signs, the miraculous works of God, they validated the message. They helped people to see that indeed Jesus really was from God and that there was really divine power within him. You know, our testimonies are really all about the works of God. When we share our testimony, we have the opportunity to do this same sort of thing because for many of us, we have stories of God's physical healing, miraculous healing. Some of us have stories of emotional, relational healing, but all of us, all of us can tell the story of God's spiritual healing in our lives. That we went from spiritual death to spiritual life. That we went from, from being orphans in a sense, feeling unloved perhaps, unwanted, not knowing our place, and then being welcomed into the family of God. There's a healing that takes place when we come to Christ. In our testimonies, uh, give us the opportunity not just to share the gospel, but also what God has done. Uh, this, this past week at um, Wednesday prayer, we're doing Wednesday prayer at noon now. So if you have a lunch break, you can, you can tune in uh, through Zoom and a bunch of us were on there and uh, Don Knodel, uh zoomed in and we always asked for prayer requests. And he said, well, look, you could pray for my neighbor. He said, I got to tell you the story. This, this past week, uh, I was on my, uh, walking around my neighborhood. You know, we're all walking uh, all the time now uh, for the first time in a while. And... Um, and he walked, kept walking by his neighbor's driveway. This guy he talked to, and they were, they were talking, getting, uh, you know, getting a bit deep in terms of their conversation. And later on, his neighbor called him up and said, look, I just, I need to know more about you and your family. There's something about you that, that I just need to know, you know, what it is that's different about you. And Don Tonell said, well, let me, let me tell you. And, and he told him his testimony. He told him about his faith in Jesus, what Jesus has done to, to save him. And, and this, this guy said, I think I want that. And so Don, Don shared his faith with him, but also the miraculous works of Jesus with him. And this, this man said, I want that. I want a Bible. And praise God, he made his first steps of faith. I mean, that, that's amazing. But that, you know, that is what God tends to do when we tell our story. And I'm not sure, uh, Don Knodel's neighbor, if you're tuning in, we're glad to have you with us, excited for what God is doing in your life. But let this be a reminder to us that when we go out, we have both the, the content of the good news and also a testimony of what God does in our lives when we come to faith. The healing that he brings, the peace that he brings, the joy that he brings. That is the message that, that we need to share. And so my question, my question for all of us, especially those of us who are part of the church, is are we ready to share that? Like if you had the opportunity today, and someone just asked you, man, there's something about, like, what is it about your life that's different? Just tell me what's important to you. Would we be able to articulate the gospel clearly? Good news, bad news, hope in Christ, and also be able to testify to what Jesus has done for us. It's something that should be on the front of our mind and in the tip of our tongue. So that was the second thing, uh, that we are to share the, the gospel, share the good news. The third thing is that we must depend on God. Uh, right in the middle of his instruction, Jesus says this, and he said to them, take nothing 
For your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. So very clear instructions, uh, very interesting instructions. It reminds me of, um, I heard a while ago, whenever Brian Adams would go on tour, uh, he would not pack anything. He would just put on his black t-shirt and black jeans like he seems to wear every day of his life. And then he would just get on a plane and he would just buy everything on the road. He didn't pack, which, you know, is easy if you're Brian Adams because you have the money to buy whatever you need and you're staying in beautiful hotel rooms. But it, this is kind of the same. I mean, they weren't obviously staying in first-class hotels. Jesus says, wherever you, like whatever house you enter, just stay there. Don't shop around. But he does say that they are specifically not to take anything with them. They will have to rely on the resources and provision, whatever they get on, on the road. Now, for Brian Adams, he has this big bank account somewhere with all of his money, and so it's easy to access those resources and get what he needs. But the, the intention here is the same, that the disciples, they also have great sources of wealth at their disposal, and that's God himself. So the point is, is fairly obvious. Jesus is wanting them to go out and to just rely on God. Just trust him for whatever they need to experience the kind of nervousness of, of stepping out and not having the regular things of comfort on hand and to experience what it is that God can do. But the question for us as a church should be, since we're like looking back and figuring out, okay, that's what Jesus told them and then thinking about how we should do ministry. I think the question for us is, you know, um, is it wrong for us to have resources in when we do ministry, if you look around, I mean, if you look around, you're looking at your house. But if you were here, like normal, you'd look around, you'd see a building, you'd see lights, you'd see sound equipment, there's cameras, there's furniture, there's a lot of resources that we as a church enjoy. And so the question is, like, are we being unfaithful? If we don't just go out with the shoes on our feet and a, and a shirt and nothing else, and the answer is not necessarily, uh, but maybe. And here's what I mean by that. We're not necessarily being unfaithful because, uh, in fact, Jesus gives his disciples some other, other instructions that are uh, kind of different uh, right near the cross. So this is Luke 9, but in Luke 22, right before he's going to be crucified and then leave them, look at what he says. This is Luke 22:35. And Jesus said to them, When I sent you out with no, no money bag or knapsacks or sandals, did you lack anything? So this is him referring to this moment in Luke 9. And their response is nothing, meaning that God provided. But then he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So you see the difference. Luke 9, Luke 9, he's saying, go out, don't take anything with you, God will provide. Luke 22, he's saying, grab everything you can. You got a knapsack, you got a snuggly, Right? You got a bunch of food, whatever. Like, put it on. You're going to need everything. You need even a sword. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is that by that point, the dress rehearsal is over. By that point, Jesus knows that they are going to be sent out into the world as sheep among wolves. And, and he knows that they're going to need everything that they can get their hands on. The principle, though, is the same. That they are to rely chiefly on God's provision. That he is their source. He is their strength. By that point, they had learned that lesson enough that then they could add on the other resources. And so that's, that's how it is, hopefully, with us. That we recognize that God is our strength and that from that, then we, we use the resources that are, are at our disposal. But the other thing you should notice about the early church is that it's not just that they relied on the strength of God. 
that they went out trusting that he would provide. This sense of, of depending on God, it also shaped their ministry. Meaning it, it, it gave them a real conviction about what resources they had to share. Let me show you what I mean. This is uh, Acts chapter 3. So this is uh, the early church is kind of getting going. Jesus is up in heaven. The spirit has come down. And uh, the apostles are starting to do ministry. And there's this moment where Peter and John are, are walking in the city. And there's a beggar, a lame beggar, who asks them for money. Asks them for alms. And look, look at what they say to him. This is verse 4. They say to him, look at us. And, and the beggar fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So notice what Peter is saying here. He's not actually saying, I don't have any money. Because the part of the ministry at the church at that time was they would, they would collect money and distribute it to the poor. That's not really what he meant. What he meant was, I have something even greater than earthly resources to give you. I have Jesus himself. And by his power, you can get up and walk. This should be instructive for us as a church that we, we must depend on God, not just because he is the source of our strength, but because he is the greatest thing that we have to give. That Jesus, not, not our... Not our benevolent fund, though that's great. Not our practical helps, though those are great. We have something even greater to give. And as we, we depend on God, we will have a greater conviction about that and a greater readiness to actually share that with those around us. So let me ask you this just before we, we move on. Have you ever had a sense that you're supposed to go and have a spiritual conversation with someone? And yet there's been a hesitancy in you because you think to yourself, man, I'm, I'm just not sure I'm ready. I'm not sure I'm really prepared. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to say. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Maybe it's not a conversation. Maybe it's something that you know God is calling you to and there's a reluctance because you're not really sure that you have it in you to go and do it. Can you see that at that moment, what's being revealed is what you really depend on? Whether you're really depending on yourself or on God. See, when we depend on the Lord, we will go wherever he calls us to go. We will step out in faith wherever he calls us to step out because we are certain that he'll be with us. We're certain that his spirit will give us the resources that we need. And because in that moment, then we have the, the joy of proclaiming the gospel or doing whatever that God has called us to do. Again, resources aren't a bad thing. It's not that we shouldn't be prepared. It's not that we shouldn't be glad that we have a building to, to meet in when we can meet in it again. But if we are unclear about the source of our strength and the real, the real resource that we have to give the people around us, then, then our ministry will be hindered. So we as a church, as individuals, we need to depend on God. That's what the disciples experienced as they stepped out. But the last thing, the fourth direction that we have for our ministry is, is really the most important. If this doesn't happen, all the other stuff is, is for naught. The fourth thing is that we are to make Jesus known. Now, the last few verses that I haven't read yet, uh, they give us a snapshot of um, what it is that, like, what's the impact? What's the effect of all this ministry? So we have Jesus saying, go. Uh, he sends them. They, they are sent. And then now we kind of get, like, a, a few weeks later, however long, and we get a bit of a snapshot of, well, how did it go? And interestingly, the, the person, uh, the snapshot that we get is of a person named Herod. 
one of the, the leaders at the time, uh, think Herod of Easter, not Herod of Christmas. There's a lot of Herods, but that, that's the one. And so um, look at what it says about Herod. Uh, this is uh, verse, I'm going to read verse 7 to 9, the last three verses. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So you see that a couple of things here. First of all, um, clearly the ministry of the disciples is having an impact. There's like a buzz that something's going on, right? It says all that was happening. So people were talking about the same kind of things they talked about when Jesus was on the move. Uh, healings, uh, sermons, people gathering around, crowds, uh, deliverance from demons, all sorts of stuff that was happening. And people are wondering, like, what is, what's going on? But notice, the focus of people's interest, certainly for Herod, was not in the what, but in the who. They wanted to know who is at the source of all of this. And people had some ideas uh, some people thought it was John the Baptist, but Herod thinks I killed him. I hope it's not him, because if it is, I'm in, I'm in trouble. So that maybe John the Baptist could be Elijah, could be one of the other prophets. And all of that only made him more interested in who actually was at the source. See, he was interested in knowing more about Jesus, which tells us something about how the disciples did their ministry. See, even though they did lots of, of powerful, amazing, life-changing things, it seems that they always made sure that people knew the source of their power. In fact, if we look back to Acts chapter 3, we can see exactly how they would do it later on. Kind of the, the, the typical way of doing ministry. Look back uh, to the middle of that, those verses in Acts 3. I'm going to read it again. But Peter said, right to the lame beggar, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. So he didn't just heal him. He made very clear, look, this power is not in me. This power is in Jesus. It's because of him, because of his love and care and power that now you can walk. That's always how the disciples did their ministry. They prayed in the name of Jesus. They healed in the name of Jesus. They cast out demons in the name of Jesus. They preached in the name of Jesus. They, they led people to Jesus, called them to repent and turn to Jesus. Which means that there's a greater goal than some of the goals we sometimes have in mind. Sometimes as a ministry, sometimes as a church, we can be thinking to ourselves, look, have we done some good things? Are we doing good work? Are we on mission? Are we helping and serving and preaching? Uh, is, are all the technical things, even on a morning like this, going well? There are some, there are some clear wins there. We want all of that, those things to happen. But the real question is, the real question is, is after doing all of those things, what are people wondering about? What is all our work of ministry pointing to? Who is it pointing to? As we interact with people in our lives, do they want to know more about us? Do they want to know more about how we live our lives or our wisdom, our strength? Are people engaged with us just so they can get a better marriage or be better parents or be more stable financially? Or do they come away thinking, man, I don't know what it is. I need to know more about that Jesus. That, that, that guy they kept talking about. They might not even know who he is. is. Is that the burden on their heart? That we have so glorified Christ that the people around us come away thinking, I, I don't know what exactly is going on here, but I know that I need to figure Jesus out. 
need to understand who he is. See, for that to happen, we need to make sure that people see that everything that's going on in our lives is rooted in him. And we need to speak his name, which doesn't always happen, sadly. Uh, one of the things that came to mind, uh, which some of you um, may remember, is, uh, is a ministry called VeggieTales. Do you remember this ministry? Uh, VeggieTales was huge when I was uh, first getting involved in the church. Uh, Larry and Bob and all the vegetables. Phil Vischer created VeggieTales because he wanted kids uh, to know the Bible. And so he made these now very dated looking, but at the time, fantastic animated uh, videos of these vegetables telling Bible stories. And uh, when I was doing kids ministry at the time, it was, it was fantastic. Everyone loved VeggieTales because it was engaging. It was kind of funny. They had silly songs, literally silly songs with Larry. And... Um, the problem, though, is after 10 years of VeggieTales, Phil Vischer, he, he was very convicted because he had had a problem in creating VeggieTales. The problem is he didn't feel comfortable making a vegetable Jesus. For, we can understand why. The problem is that he created this whole ministry to point kids to the Bible, but they, they didn't come to know Jesus. And he felt, he felt very convicted, felt that he had, he had missed the mark. And so we went on to create another series called What's in the Bible that was really all, all about Jesus. But this just goes to show there can be Christian ministries, Bible-based ministries that, that miss the mark. God forbid if, if we should be that kind of a ministry. God forbid if we should labor for years and years as, as a church in this community and not have people come to have to ask the question of who is Jesus to me? That's why it's, it's on our wall. I mean, it's not right now because we took it down. But usually, it's, we're, our tagline, our motto, our mission is to make Jesus known. We want to make sure it's front and center. That, that people know that this is who we are about. This is what we are about. But for it actually to happen, we as the church, those of us who are Tri-City Church family, and we need to be living this way. We need to be sharing this way. We need to be connecting with people and, and speaking the name of Jesus, helping people to know that it's not just that we have greater peace because God is doing something in our life, but we have greater peace because Jesus died on the cross. And now we have no shame, no guilt, and we have hope forever because he's alive. Because in the name of Jesus, there's power. Jesus is the name above every other name. And as we talk about him and magnify him, people are saved. Now, there's one other thing that we need to know uh, just about this episode. And that is for those in particular who maybe haven't decided about Jesus. Maybe you're tuning in uh, and it's you're interested in Jesus, kind of like Herod was, but you haven't really come to a point of deciding about Jesus. One thing we should know is that while Herod's response was a good one, uh, it, it, it wasn't good enough. And here's what I mean. He was interested in Jesus, but he never came to the point of really accepting him. In fact, uh, we can see Herod's, what, what happens when he actually meets Jesus because we have it recorded in Luke 23. This was uh, right before the cross when Jesus is brought before Herod. And look what happens. Here's verse 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. That means Jesus didn't say anything. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, accusing Jesus. And Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, they sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate then condemned Jesus to be crucified. So you see there, you can be very, very interested in Jesus, but that's not the same thing as coming to faith in Jesus. To come to faith, what's necessary is that we see our need for Jesus. 
that we humbly come to Christ, recognizing our sin, turning in repentance, and realizing that be it not for what Jesus did for me on the cross, I would have no hope. In fact, if you're watching this morning and you haven't yet kneeled in prayer before Jesus, repented of your sin, then, then you also do not have the hope that God wants for you. You haven't received the good news in the way that God wants you to. And you've missed really what Jesus, why he came. He came to bring peace and joy and hope through his death and resurrection, but, but through our faith is how we access that. So look, as a church, we are already sent. We are already on mission. The dress rehearsal that we see here is, is long gone. The curtain is up. There is much work to be done. My hope for us my hope for us as a church is that we can see the way that the, the disciples were initially sent out and it will rekindle our excitement and our passion to bring that same hope to the people around us. There are lots of people, even though we're physically distanced, we have many new opportunities to connect with people and my hope is that for us as a church, at the end of the day, we would know that we glorified Christ. We would know that we were faithful and that we would trust God with the impact of our words. That it's not up to us to, to save people. It's not up to us to, to heal people. It's Jesus who does it by the power of his spirit and by his grace. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for the clarity that you give in this call to your disciples. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would have that same clarity for all of us watching at home, all of us walking the streets, all of us having opportunity to connect with the people around us, maybe in new ways. I pray that we would not be reluctant or resistant to be sent. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would know clearly the gospel that we have. And I pray that we would depend on you and you alone. Lord, I pray also for anyone watching this, anyone tuning in, who hasn't yet made a decision for Christ, I pray that you would move in their hearts. Lord, help them to see your depth of love for them and the purpose that you bring into any life when we repent and we turn to you. We thank you. We thank you that we can connect in this way as a church. And Jesus, I pray that through our efforts, you would be glorified, you would be magnified. God, that you would be made known in the Tri-Cities and beyond, that it would be your pleasure to use us in that way. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.